Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks. And as we near the year's conclusion, today we are dissect stronger and weaker performers of the year. That's Harmony Gold, Textainer, Truett, Transaction Capital, Marianne Roberts, as well as Impala. All this and now with F&B Wealth and Investments, Chantal Marks. Chantal, it's always a pleasure. A good afternoon to you. Hi, yes. Uh, what a fun show. I mean, it's really great to look at which companies did well during mm. the year, uh, which ones underperformed, and to unpack why. Uh, because in this way, you can see whether or not you need to take money off the table wow. or potentially put money on the table uh, where those losses have perhaps been too large. I'm actually keen to start with uh, the winners. Uh, let's possibly start with Harmony Gold. I didn't see this one coming, uh, I'll be very honest. And also, it hasn't been an even picture with all the gold miners. So you can't even say that it was a gold mine boom. Well, yeah, I mean, it was definitely driven by a higher gold price. Mm. And for Harmony Gold, they're a more marginal producer, which means their cost of production is quite high. Mm. So when the gold price increases quite nicely, um, the, the impact from a profitability perspective is a lot larger for Harmony Gold. Um, what we've also seen with Harmony more recently is that they have been improving their operational performance. Um, they've also added Anglo Gold's old South African assets to their portfolio. They're expanding offshore and into copper. So the investment case has tilted a little bit and the risk slightly away from just the, the kind of old deep shafts that they owned a, a couple of years ago. Um, but these gold miners are super volatile. Um, gold miners don't make you money over the long term, but they are excellent to trade. And I think that Harmony Gold was just a prime example of that this year. It is interesting uh, if we take a look at Harmony Gold, because I think they, they said that they've managed to keep their capex reasonably stable uh, at this time. Uh, this is something you don't hear of often, specifically because we were in this high-cost environment. Is that also due to that operational uh, you know, uh, improvements that you're, that you're making reference to? So I think that the, the focus on cost is definitely there. So already when you naturally have a higher cost of production, you need to be very, very tight in terms of how you manage your costs. Add to that a high inflation environment where wage costs are also still increasing quite meaningfully. Um, and you, you really have to focus on the controllable issues there. And I think that the company executed quite well on that. And I mean, across the JSE, you can see that there are a lot of companies that manage to contain their costs below inflation or around about inflation um, and in that way actually driving uh, margin gains. So I think that it's, it's kind of a, a sign of the times as well where top line growth necessarily isn't there so you need to focus on the stuff that you can control. And then I was, I'd like to move on to Textainer because it's a company we don't hear about often. To my understanding, Chantal, it's going to delist from the JSC and I'm wondering how that's all played into the performance. Yes, and this is why I, I wanted to talk about this company in particularly, not necessarily because of Textainer and its underlying fundamental. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to be list. Um, we, we need to, we need to wave goodbye to the stock, mm -hmm. but I think there's a general trend among the mid cap stocks in South Africa, and it has been in place for quite some time where they are exceptionally undervalued. Um, and then a suitor step, steps in either a multinational or a local competitor that decides to take 
take out these stocks that are trading at such a discount. I mean, some of these companies really shouldn't be trading on two or three times PEs. That is exceptionally cheap, even at this point in the cycle. Um, and many of these companies are exceptionally well run, with Textainer being an example of that. So in the absence of a re-rating in the market and it being more appropriately priced, they're going to get taken out. Um, and Textainer was a, a prime example of that more recently. Um, you know, you, you've said it. A lot of our mid-caps were, uh, are susceptible to this trend of being bought out. Chantal, does that tell us that African businesses actually are well-run? Uh, you know, our executives do uh, know what they're doing. Uh, but maybe uh, it's uh, institutional investors that don't quite see the value? So I think that the, the volume constraint is there when you're thinking about um, the institutional investment space. Um, and while our retail investment space has been growing, particularly when it comes to kind of self-managing your share portfolio, um, I think that it's still in its infancy. Uh, retail investors in South Africa um, are perhaps following the herd rather than kind of digging for those opportunities themselves. So sometimes they just don't notice some of these names or they see a company like Zida, for example, being unbundled from Barlow World, the share price dropping quite substantially right after the, the listing and then deciding to not even bother looking at it. Mm. So I think that we, for the small and mid-cam space to, to to thrive, um, we need to really start seeing retail investors become reinvigorated around the stock market um, and, and start digging a little bit deeper because I think that that's where the opportunity lies for them mm. um, and it's more accessible for them relative to a big institutional fund that will take several days and weeks to trade out of one of these small companies if they need to. Very interesting one, definitely with Textena. True, it's also uh, an interesting one. Uh, I'm more surprised by Truett, uh, Chantal, because they're 70% credit sales. So in my mind, Truett sells clothes, but they also sell credit. <laughs> um, but of course, <laughs> they've managed to weather the storm better than uh, cash retailers, actually. Yes, yeah, so we're in, that, we're in that point in the cycle where... Um, the, the the story actually benefits the credit retailer. We're probably getting close to the end of that, so just beware of that when you look when you're circling around Truids. Um, firstly, Truids was exceptionally undervalued at the start of the year, so there definitely was a re-rating there, trading closer to its peers now um, on a relative valuation basis. And then the second thing is that credit retail cycle, um, well, the credit cycle really benefited it because consumers' disposable income has been under pressure because of higher inflation, perhaps higher interest rates resulting in bigger mortgage payments. They've taken up consumer credit um, in the form of kind of store credit. They are buying more on credit um, in order to meet their basic necessities. Um, and in this case, particular clothing uh, and footwear. So, I mean, a year ago, if you looked at Truworth's credit book and the available uh, room on that credit book, so um, in other words, say I had a two words account and I own, I can, I can borrow up to 10,000 Rand. Mm -hmm. I would have only had about 4,000 Rand in credit there, which means I still had capacity there. Mm -hmm. So a lot of consumers started using up that capacity and that was very positive for Truworths from a revenue perspective. And Truworths hasn't been too bold in extending credit. So it's, it's credit experience hasn't been too bad either, which means that that, that credit 
the credit sales actually translated into cash flows for the company as well. But things are getting a little bit hairy right now. Um, so I think that this the, the party may be over for, for Truworth, at least relative to the other retailers near term. Uh, just out of curiosity, Chantal, is that revenue recognized up front, uh, you know, even if it is a credit sale? Uh, and then, of course, if there's an impairment, a kind of that is recognized a little bit later. Yes, they, they would utilize accrual accounting. So mm. they would they would recognize it in the period that it was um, that, that the sale was made. Um, and then they'll adjust for it afterwards based on the credit experience. Very interesting that one, uh, considering also how Mr. Price has done this year, which isn't uh, as great, and they're uh, pure, uh, more pure of cash play. Uh, let's move on to the weak performers now, transaction capital. It's been a rough one oh, for shit. transaction capital. I think that's down 80% year to date. Yes, um, this this company really stands out among the weak, weak performers. Um, they had a very nasty experience with a, a sharp deterioration in the operating environment that uh, is a taxi plays in. Um, they had to uh, cut that book down meaningfully. They had to change that business because it didn't make sense for them to run it the way that they were running it before. Um, and that pressure on the taxi industry has been sustained. Um, at the same time, you had We Buy Cars coming under uh, cyclical pressure because used car sales generally came under pressure. Affordability of vehicles, a big ticket item, generally became an issue because of high interest rates and high inflation and low disposable income. So it was kind of a perfect storm for the company. Add on to that some, um, some, some, some frowns around management transactions in December just before they actually announced this. Um, and and you, you had a situation where not only were investors disappointed by the operational performance of transaction capital, but also in the transparency of management. And once there's that kind of trust deficit, it takes a while for investors to come back to the company and to really back the management team. They've made some changes at the helm, um, but I think a, a proper recovery will probably only happen once you start seeing the, 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 the poor results from FA Taxi and the weaker results from Weebar Cars come into the base into next year. Um, that said, I do think there is some upside there. But um, yeah, as I mentioned, it, that re-rating trigger is not here yet um, and it could be a bumpy ride. I was also Chantal, when we think of SA Taxi and what it could look like in the future, I mean, in my mind, uh, nobody wanted to find uh, taxi owners and taxi drivers for very obvious reasons. So transaction capital saw a market and went for it. But there was also a high risk, high reward, I think, approach to the interest rates that they were seeing coming out of this industry. And that, I think, has then also uh, played into the sustainability of the model here. Is there a way to balance it? Because the SA Taxi industry remains precarious and that consumer, that specific consumer remains a risky client so i think that the, that the opportunity is still there and i think that what transaction capital was doing was actually um managing that risk reward quite well i think what they didn't see coming was a, a worldwide pandemic resulting in um capacity destruction um, and a real pressure on taxi owners during that period. I mean, it's the same with any business. If your revenue is coming down sharply, 80, 90%, how are you going to service your debt? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a natural knock on impact. And then once you've now actually sold the vehicle, um, you've gone into, well, you, your credit is, is gone because you've defaulted on your payments. How are you going to restart that business? again. So I think that longer term, there is still a place in the market for SA Taxi. I do see them um, 
I do see them recovering over time, but it can take a very long time. And then you also have to consider, is PRASA going to be in the state that it's in forever? Mm. Or are we over the next decade going to see an improvement in passenger rail? Because if that comes through, then SA Taxi is probably going to remain a much smaller business longer term. Very interesting dynamics playing themselves out. Then let's talk about Marys now. Uh, this sector also hasn't had the sector. It's the whole sector. I mean, every time I, I read on Robex, I'm surprised because Robex seems to be doing pretty okay. Um, but there also seem to be an outlier. Yeah, so I mean, Robex has the, the advantage of being very geared towards road construction. Mm -hmm. Um, and by and large, road construction has been performing better from a tender activity perspective, both in the private sector and to the, the in, and in the public sector. Although it, they've mentioned that they've seen a slowdown in terms of Sunroll um, tender activity more recently, um, and Rabix also has exposure to the material space. Mm. So even if they're not winning the tenders, they're supplying the materials to build the roads, right? Um, for Murray's, they're exposed to, to contract mining, which generally is, is quite solid, but it is volatile to a certain extent. Um, and then to big civil contracts, uh, or civil projects that haven't necessarily come through at the pace that they would have liked it to from a, from a government perspective. And then there's Australia, right? Mm. Australia, 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 um, not, um, not so made and fair. Mm -hmm. um, they've really struggled in that market mm. because the, the contract provisions that you have to put in place um, and the, the difficult environment when it comes to actually um, negotiating around that contract once these projects are completed um, and that whole arbitration system is just so detrimental to the, the big construction companies. So they end up paying so many penalties for, for mistakes that were perhaps outside of their control mm. that it just doesn't make sense for them. They, 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 they complete these products at a loss. So they actually put their Australian business in business rescue um, and they lost the contracting mining business in Australia as a result because it was part of the same entity. Mm. So now Murray's is a much smaller company. They had a lot of debt still on the balance sheet. So they're trying to get that down. But I think that the, the share price slump is a reflection of all of these things playing out at the same time once again. And similar to transaction capital um, and SA Taxi in particular, you're probably just going to have to right size that business, make it smaller and then take it from there. I'm going to move on to Implats now as well. Of course, we had some very uh, sad news coming out of Implats today. But Implats won uh, what people were calling a trade war uh, for a Royal Buffer King. They won that, but it hasn't, it still hasn't been a good uh, time for them. In fact, uh, maybe they have a new asset on board and that uh, had the markets even more uh, concerned about them. Yes, I mean, the, the platinum and palladium um, and rhodium price for that matter, well, the PGM complex has been under a lot of pressure from a pricing perspective. Um, and this this bidding war took place when prices were much higher. So Implats ended up paying a lot more for RB Plats than it would have paid for Royal Buffalo King Platinum if it had bought it right now. Mm. Their balance sheet is now a little bit more uh, geared. And this is the wrong time to have gearing on your balance sheet and to make a big acquisition. Um, well, short term, it's probably the wrong time. Um, I think longer term, there's still scope for a recovery year once BGM prices start forming a base and, and hopefully push push higher. Um, but it really has been the perfect storm for, for implants. I think just the the wrong time for them um, this the, right now and this year's uh, share price 
um, movement is just a, a reflection of that. And um, I, I actually feel I feel so sorry for for the company, the management team, and the employees at Impala Platinum um, following the news um, this morning. Because on top of everything, um, they, there's been this incident as well, and that will likely um, limit production for the next couple of weeks um, and have a further deteriorating impact on revenue and profitability for the year. Chantal, I must ask you, what could possibly uh, drive up a recovery in PGMs? We're seeing an oversupply, we're seeing uh, demand waning a little bit. What kind of market conditions would we have to see for a turnaround of PGMs? So one of two things need to happen. Either supply needs to come down, so it needs to become uneconomical for recyclers to continue recycling, um, or you will have shafts, shafts become depleted or closed down because you can't mine it economically at these current prices, right? The other thing that can happen is demand can rebound. Now, either that is driven by economic growth because, uh, and, then, and then that in turn drives higher vehicle production, investment demand, jewelry demand, all the rest of it. Um, or new technologies. So um, platinum is is quite, or PGMs are, are an important component in hydrogen fuel cell technology. I think if that goes mainstream, you could see a resurgence of demand. And more recently, sodium ion batteries have started to, to become more of a thing relative to lithium batteries. So lithium um, obviously is is quite quite difficult to, to mine as well. Um, and there are knock-on impacts there. Um, but in sodium ion batteries, I think your mining component is a lot lower, but that mining component is PGMs. So, so something like that could actually help them. But I think, yeah, near-term things are looking a little bit tough for the PGM space. Well, Chantal, that's all we have time for today. It's been great speaking to you. Thank you so much for unpacking these counters for us. A very fast-paced, but fantastic, as always. Thank you for your time. That was F&B Wealth and Investments, Chantal Marks.